0: And i just have a word of prayer for you, Cody, before you go. Our God and our Father, we thank you for Cody. We thank you for the labor of love that he he um, he, he spends. I'm p- pretty sure he spends hours uh, studying your word. And uh, we thank you for him and just pray that you give him um, your words, that he, he be uh, uh, an ambassador for the Lord Jesus as he uh, ministers to us. And we do pray that your word would be hidden in our hearts, that we would take your word and uh, live by it and... Uh, and uh, that we would esteem your word more so than our necessary food. So we thank you for Cody, bless him, and make him a blessing to us and to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's rather profound how the Holy Spirit does a lot of all this prep work, because thy word have I hidden my heart that I may not sin against thee, is a part of my theme. So... Bob's repeated that, I think, three times in preparation. That's pretty cool. I love how God works. The scriptures this morning are Mark 3, 7 to 19. And I want to say I'm actually very thankful that our youth are up here today because some of the things that I want to talk about, I really wanted them to hear. So, praise God. So, Mark, Mark 3, 7 to 19 But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him. As many ha- has had plagues, unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him, cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Second time, actually, in, the, in Mark did that, that happened. And he goeth up into a mountain, and and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. So, a very neat passage, actually. Um, So I was studying it. I was just making notes on individual components from the verses. And uh, it was actually on Monday when Lauren put out the notice, hey, you guys are prepping for the service, things to think about. And I was actually at work. And I was like, whoa. I just quickly read through my passage. And I was like, there's something really neat here that I, I didn't see when I was first studying it. So I hope that it kind of excites you like it did excite me. There were many that were drawn to Jesus uh, from various locations. And It wasn't limited to Israel, actually. You'll notice that there was some from Idumea, which uh, was, um, if I get it right, that was the um, Edom. It was originally Edom, which was. Uh, south of Israel, uh, bordering against um, Egypt. There were those from Tyre and Sidon, which is Phoenicia. Now it doesn't say whether they were Israelites or Jews that were in those locations that came there, but it just says that they came from those locations. And they were drawn into Galilee. Little Galilee. The scripture tells us that they, that they were not seeking Jesus, how we know that because according to Romans 311, there are none that seek God. Right? So that must mean the Holy Spirit drew every one of them there at that time. Isn't that neat? It's a pretty cool picture. So they're there to hear Jesus because the Holy Spirit drew them in to make them made them ready to hear. In John 12, 32, Jesus said that he would draw all men to himself. He says, but seek ye... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Draw all men to himself. He says that he would be raised up on the cross and how he was going to die. And he says, when I'm raised up, I will draw all men to myself. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I notice that that is a directive. It's a command. It's something you're, you must do. But it's not something that you're inclined to do. Right? None of us were seeking after God without being drawn by the Holy Ghost. Jesus told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men. He told them to be the salt and light of the world. He sent them two by two to preach repentance and that the kingdom of God is at hand. He commissioned them to go out into the world to make disciples of all nations, He told them to begin in Jerusalem and to move out over all of Judah and then Samaria and the rest of the world. Jesus wants his message of salvation to be heard by the multitude, by the masses, by the example of this great multitude that was there. Remember the probably most famous verse in the scriptures is for God so loved the world, not just Israel, not just the church, But the world that he sent this only son, sent this only begotten son. So in this passage, Jesus amplifies his voice over this multitude. And how does he do it? We can be interactive if you want to answer. How did he do it? How did he speak to this entire mass of people? He did it from a boat. Why a boat? What is a boat? Well, if you want to make boats in Canada, you have to reference a document TP thirteen thirty two, and it says the small vessel construction requirements. It's a vessel. Boats are a vessel. Does that sound familiar? Aren't we vessels? Scripture says that we're earthen vessels in which God hides his word. Thank you, Bob. Thy word where is Bob there? Hide thy word in thy heart. John 15 tells us, abide in me and I will abide in you. May word abide in in, in your heart. So we're vessels for Jesus to climb into to proclaim his word aloud to the masses. Isn't that a cool picture? And that's what just kind of thumped me in the face when I was kind of answering that email. It's like, whoa, there it is. That's just so cool. There it is. We're vessels. Actually, there's a picture in the Bible of another vessel. Remember Noah? right? He goes into the ark, and his salvation is found as the ark goes up. That's a picture of the rapture. It's a translation of Jesus coming to take us to heavenward. That's a cool picture, isn't it? And we were made in his image, were we not? If Christ is the ark, we're a small boat. See, if we dwell in him, he dwells in us. Right? Isn't that cool? So that we can help deliver salvation to the masses, to the world. One example. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. So we're the small boat, little vessels. So what's our job? It's just like with bearing fruit. It's our job just to bear, right? Jesus produces it. You want you know we just have to bear it's the same thing that's vessels we got to be willing to allow the Lord to speak through us and it's not just pastors and preachers is it' it's each one of us has to go out and be willing to let the Lord speak through us to your neighbor to your co-worker to the person you pass by in the street Lord help us to look upon each one of them. With compassion and love, and realize they're destined for hell and they need the gospel so that all ambitions go so we can proclaim that to them. After Jesus preached to the masses, he took a selection of followers up a mountain. And just like when the ark was risen up, taking his Noah and his family upward towards heaven. For salvation, well, notice while the wrath was being poured down, they were being saved, right? So, this is a picture of Jesus calling the few. He called to everyone, but only a few were chosen. Only a few went with him up this mountain. And what's the shape of a mountain? You know, it's wide at the bottom, it's a broad way, It's it's not narrow, right? But as you go up, it gets narrower. Isn't it interesting? As we look towards heavenward, it's a narrow road. It's one fraught with peril and with troubles and, and difficulty. But who's leading the disciples up the mountain? Jesus is. He's right there. He reaches out his hand to help, to ensure that they get up there. And, the, and on top of the mountain represents like Mount Zion. And it represents... Heaven. Why didn't the many go? Why, why didn't the multitude follow him up that mountain? Because Jesus told us in Matthew 7, narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Few there will be that will find the narrow way. Many will follow the broad path to destruction. So you see a picture right here. Exactly what the Lord said, that only few will follow. And he had a few that went up the mountain with him. The start of the church. Before Jesus went up the mountain, he healed many. He cast out devils. Surely that would be enough to draw people to himself, right? Shows his shows he's God, it shows his divinity, proves the scriptures that prophesied of his coming. Why still only a few at the top? You know, he told us that. And why? Because they love their sin. People love their sin. That's why they reject Christ. Because the truth can be right in front of them. They don't want to relinquish this world, which is corrupt, which the moth eats, the canker worm eats. Canker means cancer, by the way. Eats our body. We're corrupted. So they all heard the message. They all heard the gospel. They seen miracles, and only a few went up. So the examples that were given of few were 12 disciples that Jesus first ordained. Interestingly, a third of them were fishermen that had boats. So the connection to the boat analogy was probably very real to them. You know, They were out in the boat regularly. They saw miracles in those boats too later. First you had Simon. Simon Peter Bar-Jonah. He was a fisherman. Simon means listen or hear. Hearing. It's interesting. Listen. Good message for us, isn't it? To Listen to the Lord. Peter means the small rock or stone or cliff edge. Now, of course, we all know the, the story where Jesus says, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And then we see the connection later that heaven is founded on the apostles and the prophets in that a neat picture there's 12 apostles and each one of those is a stone that makes up the foundation and that's laid on Jesus Christ you have Jesus chief cornerstone and then you have the apostles and prophets and then we as living stones get to be on that wall too right? right? so what a message that happens just from the names. Have you ever have you ever seen the the gospel in the in the patriarchs in Genesis? I, I don't remember them all right now, but it's a it, it's the gospel in the names of all the patriarchs, starting from Adam, meaning man. <clears throat> One of those depraved. Uh, rest. Noah's means rest. If you go through the names, it basically tells you that that uh, they were despairing in sin, and God provided rest. That's a very neat thing, just in the names. So every time we see names listed, even though sometimes we don't want to go through numbers and all these books that list all the names, there's actually quite a lot built into that. In fact, God makes import on names. He says he's going to give us a new name one day. That's pretty cool too, right? Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law at home, so he was a good son-in-law. We saw that in in chapter 1. Uh, he would go on to declare um, that Jesus was the Son and the Messiah. That was, that's an honor that when Jesus said, "Who do you say? Who did they say I am? Who do you say I am?" and Jesus and, and, and Peter says, well, "That was the Son of God." All right, that's a that's a pretty cool statement. a Pretty cool opportunity to say that. Would he would deny Jesus three times? We know that one. That's a, the opposite. That's really a sad thing to have to do. He would uh, partner alongside John at the establishment of the church in Acts and and go out and preach and and be imprisoned and see the miracle of being able to walk by four quadrillions of soldiers that are just like dazed. Uh, He'd be the first apostle to preach a sermon. That was really cool. Uh, He's the first apostle to minister to the Gentiles or Cornelius and baptize them. Uh, He was the author of two epistles, We know, we were studying 1st Peter before Mark, and uh, eventually he would be martyred. In fact, everybody but John would be martyred. And John, they tried. They apparently dumped him in boiling oil, and he uh, he lived through that. Which should not be, like, something I want to aspire to. Burning in oil, deep fried. Yeah, he lived through that. That's a miracle. He had a brother named Andrew. And Andrew means man or strength or manly, uh, strong and manly, however you want to look at that. Uh, I intended on having how everybody died, and I I didn't put it in there. I don't remember. Uh, There was James, the son of Zebedee, and uh, he was renamed by Jesus a son of thunder. And I find that very interesting, and you can explore this on your own. I didn't want to take a lot of time on it, but in the notes, I did actually put a lot of verses that talk about thunder in the Bible. It's interesting how in Revelation there's seven thunders. So I think there's a little play there where probably they were a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know what to say, the the right description. They were called Son of Thunder, I think, because of their character, right? But I also think there's always an interesting connection when Jesus or the Bible is saying something and what does that relate to. So I encourage you all to explore that one in your scriptures and find out what the Bible says about thunder and lightning. Right? What does God say about it? the thunderings in heaven and all these things? I think it's pretty neat. I think there's a connection probably there. And it is John who wrote down the seven thunders in the book of Revelation. Uh, so then there's John, of course. So you got James and John, both brothers. And uh, James is actually a I think it's a Gentile-ish version of Jacob. So it also means surplanter, like Jacob did. But it also could be understood as a replacement uh, or um, substitute. And this is something interesting I found when I was studying the introduction of the first uh, disciples in chapter 1. It almost seemed to be the the first four names were another little gospel message talking about um, to listen. Um, You had listen, man... You had um, James and John. John means um, graced by God, and James means the substitute or replacement. So can you kind of put that together in your mind and think that man ought to listen? Jesus replaced him. Think about that. He was, a, he was our substitutionary sacrifice. Just interesting how those names came together in Mark 1. Here they are again. Philip means fond uh, of horses or horse lover. Uh, nothing super exciting that I can tell on that, but that's what it means. He was later teleported. That's kind of a neat thing to have happen to you. Baptized a stranger on the road and then you sent off to some other country. Whoa, that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, Bartholomew means uh, son of Telem, uh, or furrow, or it could mean son of Tholome. Um Matthew, we know he was a tax collector, who dropped his business. It's probably lucrative to follow the Lord. Uh, the fishermen dropped their business to follow the Lord. We don't know if they were; it was lucrative for them, but they they dropped it. They left their dad with servants. To go follow the Lord. Uh, Thomas. Thomas means twin. Uh, the name. Didymus also, which is used for Thomas, means twin. So I wonder if he was a twin. I think it probably makes sense, but hard to know. Um, Maybe in his uh, uh, pre-Christ life, he was kind of double-minded. I don't know if that's where that comes from. Um, But it was interesting that he was thoughtful about heaven. He asked Jesus questions that were profound, um, uh, but then he doubted Christ Resurrection because he didn't get to see him. Right? Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus. James means, same, we would, uh, or substitute. We've talked about that. Alphaeus means changing. Uh, Thaddeus, uh, I don't know what he was doing. Um, Thaddeus means my heart or the heart of Yahweh. Um, sorry, that was Labius. Labius means my heart or the heart of Yahweh. So he was Thaddeus Labius or Labius Thaddeus. Um, Thaddeus means courageous heart so there's a connection between the two names Um, some think that he was possibly Jude the author of the book of Jude Um, then there was Simon Zelotus the Canaanite Zelotus referring to being a zealot Um, so clearly he was passionate about some things uh, probably passionate about uh, Jews right, about his country Uh, Simon means listening we talked about that with Peter uh, and then there's Judas Iscariot, and Judas means praise of the praise one, okay? which you know, sort of bet- betrays his character. Obviously, he was um, you know, the, the son of perdition. Uh, this is what Iscariot means. It means destruction or perdition. Um, so Ju- the Judas, you'd think, might have a different character, but it almost seems like that makes sense for him because he seems like he's part of the church. He seems like he's in, but he's actually Iscariot. He's destruction. He's the son of perdition. He's actually a picture of Antichrist who betrays the Lord, obviously. So, so he's, a, he's a sleeper agent in there, right? He looks, like he's, he looks like he's a Christian, but he's not a Christian. You know, Matthew 7 says that uh, many will say, Lord, Lord, I, I did all these things for you. And Jesus is going to say, I, I didn't know you, right? So you might look like you're, you've got the foliage of a tree, but you're not producing the fruit. Right? You might look like a Christian, might look like part of the body of Christ. You might sit on the, the chair or the pew and be here, but you might not know the Lord. You might be part of a family who's Christian, You might sit at the table and pray and say grace and do Bible devotions with your family and still not know the Lord. And you don't get a free pass because you're part of a Christian family. That's not a ticket to heaven, is it? No. I was raised a Christian. I lived my life. I went to church all my life. I tithed regularly. Is that a ticket to heaven? It's not. Firstly, I'm just going to conclude, if you've given your life to Jesus, repented of your sins, hate fornication, hate worship of self, um, uh, theft, lying, lusts, all these things, you've repented of those, you eschew them, the Bible says, and trust Jesus as the only way to everlasting life and to, to uh, escape his wrath, the wrath of God, then you are the small boat. Let Jesus aboard. I imagine he's aboard if you've already done that. Let him speak through you and declare the message of salvation to others, to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to your family members, to those who you might even think know the Lord. Don't be afraid to get real passionate about the gospel to those who you even think know the Lord. My stepdad was very manipulative. And he used the Bible to manipulate people. And he knew how to say things. Well, what? He still needs to hear the gospel. He still needs to be confronted with it because he's let a lot of people stray into a lot of destructive things. And sometimes people who you think know the Lord because they, they read the Bible and they preach it and they browbeat doesn't mean that they know the Lord. What we want to see is perhaps a few more Go up the mountain, right? Secondly, if you haven't, if you haven't repented or put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't, then it is time to stop being stubborn. Put down your pride and humble yourself before God and repent. Trust in him. Trust in him like you would a parachute. If, you're going, if the plane is running out of fuel, and you're over the water. What are you going to do? Jump out with the parachute on. But it's no good if you don't put the parachute on. And Jesus is the parachute. Put the parachute on. Don't waste any more time. You don't know if you leave here today. If you go out on the highway and you get creamed. You don't know that. You don't know that if you're going to have an aneurysm. Or a heart attack. Or terminal cancer. Or what. You don't know. Now. Is the time to repent and give your life to Jesus. And and again, don't be stubborn. Don't think, well, I spent my life in the church. You're just justifying your own sins. Give your life to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. If you want to be a child of God, you need to be regenerated. If you want to be regenerated, you need to go humbly before him. He will change you. His Holy Spirit will. And you'll be called a child of God, a son of God. The only way to please the Lord, Hebrews eleven six says, by faith. Only by faith can you please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That means the tithes and the committed time and all the wonderful things you did. The barn raisings and all that don't mean anything if you don't have faith. Thirdly, don't ignore the signs. They point to Jesus. Now, I'm not a big promoter of trying to look for healings and all these kind of things. They happen, but there are signs these days, are there not? There are signs right now that Jesus talked about to his disciples who asked him, as how are we going to know? What are the signs of your coming? And he talked about the the um, fig tree. And you can tell by the fig tree's behavior what season you're in. Can we tell? Do we get a sense of what season we're in right now? Is Jesus coming soon? Well, he's not slack like men are. He's coming soon. That means there's precious little time to go tell your neighbor about Jesus. There's precious little time for you if you haven't repented. Those 12 disciples that Jesus chose left their boats. They left their occupations. They left their lives to follow Jesus and to serve him. They went out in pairs, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel. After Jesus or, uh, resurrected and went up to heaven, ascended into heaven, they went, they waited for the Holy Spirit first, and then they went out, and they preached. And when they were told to stop preaching, they said, better to obey God than man. And they continued to preach. And they were arrested, and they were beaten, and they were tortured, and they were martyred. What are you willing to do? Christians, what are you willing to give up? Because The cars fall apart, the house decays, the clothing gets wrecked, this body decays, it ain't worth hanging on to. So what are you willing to give up? Go out and be a vassal. Allow the Lord to speak through you to the multitudes. And thank the Lord that he uses us to do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you that you use us as earthen vessels. Thank you that we can serve you. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that we can be with you eternally and escape the wrath of a holy God who hates sin, who cannot abide with sin. Thank you that When we couldn't do it, you sent Jesus to do it for us. You sent Jesus to take all our sins on that cross. Thank you that you've redeemed us. and Thank you that your word goes out aloud over the multitudes. Thank you that... Thank you for those who you save. Lord, please save more. Please bless this church. that you have already. In Jesus' name, amen.